Hey friends, guess what? I've got a new book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide on March 8th called Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. This book is based on something I call genealogical regressions because sometimes when I'm working with clients, I go into their past lives and I realize this is not the source event of the challenge. We need to send light and love to ancestors in order to make our lives the wonderful places that we want to be. So I hope you'll check out my new book and stay tuned for class announcements, book signings, and more as March gets closer. Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life coming March 8th from Llewellyn Worldwide. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Can you believe it's already the 3rd of January? The new year is upon us. And so we're getting ready to listen to my interview with Natalie Fowler. She is super cool. I think you're going to really enjoy hearing what she has to say. She is a psychic medium. She goes out to houses and haunted places, and she has a really interesting take on things. So settle in. And remember, if you want to check it out on YouTube, Go find my Past Life Lady channel, and you'll get to see the episode as well. Namaste. Hey, friends. Welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. I have Natalie Fowler here today, and you're going to be blown away by her new book, The Spirit's Way Home. I love this, Natalie. This is a fantastic book. Natalie is a psychic medium. And in here, this book is written like a fiction story. You're going to love reading it. Let me read you Natalie's bio. Natalie Fowler is a practicing psychic medium, paranormal investigator, author, and former lawyer. Amazing. She presents workshops and leads writing retreats and destination events on a regular basis. And I'm sure she'll be waiting to get back to those. Yeah, not so much now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Stay tuned, folks. I know that's coming. Um, Natalie lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can visit her online at www.natalie.com. Natalie, I love your book. It's awesome. Welcome oh. to Healing Arts. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I, 
I like the writing is so wonderful. I love fiction um, and it just reads like a story. And I think people are really gonna get engrossed with this. Can you begin by telling us the amazing story of what happened to you when you were a young girl that kind of got you into the work that you're doing now? Oh my goodness. Um, let's see, when I was about 12 or 13, um, I, well, actually I was always the kid at the campfire that was fascinated by ghost stories. Um, and it wasn't that I was particularly brave or anything, but I just couldn't get enough. And, and what I was looking for, I actually couldn't find in those stories. Um, you always hear sto ghost stories and it's, they're told from the perspective of how scary it is to have a ghost in your house or, or to see a ghost. And I always thought it would be equally scary to be the ghost. And that's what I was looking for in those stories. Um, what would, you know, what was it like to be a ghost? If you were supposed to go somewhere when you died and you didn't, that was scary to me. And I wanted to find out what, you know, that I was always moving, working from a very curious place. I wanted to know um, where, why, why would a soul choose to stay here when, you know, if they're supposed to be going somewhere else. But um, I also was a really sensitive kid. Um, you know, the, the, there were nights when I was, I remember being in junior high, sixth and seventh grade. So kind of the age where you're too old to be afraid of things that go bump in the night, but still you're very afraid of those things if something's going bump in the night in your room. And I had this feeling that there was something watching me from the corner and it was a tall, dark shadow. And, and I would, uh, you know, my imagination would just go out of control as you do as a child. And uh, everyone that I would talk to about it would just keep telling me over and over again, there's no such thing as ghosts. It's just your imagination. And, and even though, you know, you're being told that it, it, you start to believe it after a while, after you've been told that so many times. And also the alternative to that is very scary. What if it's not just your imagination? What are you supposed to do about it if there is actually something there? So that's um, a very early experience that sort of shaped my perspective of this. Um, number one, trying to just kind of conquer the fear of it and do something about it, but also coming from that place of compassion of what is that? What does that soul need if it's standing there looking at you? I love the movie, The Sixth Sense, um, that really kind of drives home the point of what, what I was trying to figure out at a young age. <laughs> Absolutely. So you can see the deceased? Um, for me, my gifts, uh, you know, there's the different clairvoyant, you know, all the different psychic gifts. For me, the strongest ones are actually claircognizance and clairsentience. So it's more of a feeling. I can just feel when something's wrong. And then that, now that I've developed all of these gifts, that usually comes with a download of information, which is really what the book is about. Just all these information dumps of these stories that I was getting as I was starting to help these souls. And, and so it, yeah, so that's the, that's the way my gift works. I don't necessarily see stuff with my naked eye. That's happened a few times, but it, you know, for me, I see the images more when I do a meditation and I go to that place in my mind's eye where I can see with my sixth sense there. Yeah, I think that's less distracting, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Than having a look at these people. Uh, speaking of movies, 
What do you think of the others with Nicole? Kidman? Oh, that's another good one. Yes. Um, I just, I, I love that premise. And actually that's what got me into this whole field in the first place. I was writing a book, a fiction story, um, kind of taking those concepts of the sixth sense and the others and, and telling that perspective of the ghost uh, you know, to, to present that side of the story, because that's the story I was always looking for as a kid and could never find. So as I got further in my career, um, that's sort of how the evolution really put me on this path in the first place. Um, yes, I was a practicing attorney and I was surrounded by all these really logical and rational people. And I loved that. I kind of thrived in that environment. I'm a huge history nerd and research geek. So I liked the research and writing aspect of that work. But when I actually got out there in private practice, my empathic soul took quite a beating. I spent a lot of time crying actually. Oh um, and I didn't have any idea that I was an empath at the time. So I was just getting bombarded with all the anger and emotion that happens naturally in a courtroom or, or everything. And I just, I didn't know how to navigate that. I was a lot happier behind a stack of books, writing and researching and all those things. Um, but it did set up a perfect premise for my fiction work. I, I thought, you know, here I'd been looking for these ghost stories as a kid. Um, what if you took a character who's trained to think logically and rationally like a lawyer and give her something completely irrational to deal with like a ghost and you smash those together. And um, that's how I found myself in this world. I was getting all these paranormal books from Llewellyn uh, you know, all these, all these books about ghosts and everything so that I could research in the name of my character. And I didn't realize I was actually, um, foretelling my own life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah. It's actually really scary. I, you know, I was, I was doing that. I don't know. I was writing those stories probably 10, 15 years ago. I really started and I was in writing groups and all of that. And now when I go back and read all of that, I, it's, crazy how prophetic it was <laughs> like, wow you're bringing so, it through yes <laughs> here you are yes man I mean you've had a really amazing life you <laughs> tell the story um I don't know what order but the Palmer house yeah can you tell us about that one of course well there are a bunch of stories actually from the Palmer house in the book um I started going up to the Palmer House with a group of writers and illustrators, and that's actually how I got into ghost hunting as well. Um, the group Ghost Stories Inc. is a group of paranormal authors and illustrators, and we, so cool. uh, yeah, <laughs> we thought, you know, if you're going to be writing these scary stories, go put yourself in the scary place to be able to write it from a more real and rich perspective. So we teach okay. writing workshops and art classes actually in the basement of the Palmer House as soon as groups are allowed to go back there. <laughs> um, and that's that's what this is all about. So I joined the group uh, a few years ago and I had, actually I had no idea that I was the psychic when I joined the group. I They had asked me to come along on a ghost hunt and I was terrified. Um, they were filming for their documentary and I was terrified for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I had been writing about ghosts for 10 years. I didn't know if I really wanted to go shake one out of an attic, <laughs> what that would be about. Um, and again, this was before I knew I was psychic. And the 
the second level of that was that here I was going off to do, to go on a ghost hunt with these very experienced professionals. And I had no idea what I was doing and I didn't want to look stupid on camera. So I did what I do best. And I spent the day before at the library researching some of the properties that we were going to be investigating. And I ended up finding all of this really great um, juicy drama about some of the former owners. And I had found some obituaries and different things like that, all in the name of having something to contribute for their filming purposes. And uh, it must have gone really well because they asked me to join the group and be their researcher because they didn't have a historian at the time. So I was happy to fill that role. And about four hours later, I was sitting on a stage at Crypticon talking about what it was like to be a ghost hunter. So that was funny. Um, so cool. Yes. So my life took a very cool turn <laughs> at that yeah. point. Um, but what was happening was that when I was out with them in different places and these different haunted properties, I was realizing very quickly that I was seeing and feeling and sensing a lot more than other people were doing. And I was starting to tune into the energy around me in a really different way. And uh, that's when my psychic gifts really started to explode. And so I figured I better figure out what to do about this. So I started taking some classes and workshops and really tuning inward to figure out what that was and what that gift was and what the heck was I supposed to be doing with it? If all this stuff was starting to happen to me, what, what, what was I supposed to do with it? Um, and that's really where the book came from is I, it became important for me to start journaling some of these experiences as they were happening, partly for my own validation, just to, you know, I, I am a concrete rational thinker. So I'm constantly looking for ways to prove to myself that I'm not making this stuff up and that this is really happening. So that's really what the book kind of that's where the book was born in the first place was just all this crazy stuff that was happening to me. And, and it follows kind of my journey of how to get a handle on that. And I'm just realizing now I am not answering your question in any way. So I will no, I love it. I love it. You're right. I mean, I've spent a lot of my life trying to justify why I'm so weird. Um, Cause you, but, know, you start out wanting to just be a regular person who has a job and then it just doesn't always yeah. work. <laughs> Well, so to get back to the Palmer house though, one of my first real psychic experiences there was the first time I was there with the group. I, I was asleep in bed and I just felt like someone was watching me. And it was like, I was back in that room when I was 12 years old. And that feeling of someone staring at me while I was sleeping was all back again. And it just kind of woke things up. And, and I remember laying there with my eyes closed thinking, okay, um, this is just my imagination. I'm sure it's nothing. It's just, I'm excited about being in a haunted hotel for the first time. And, and then I felt it grab my hand. <laughs> so there I was laying in bed and it felt like it didn't feel threatening or anything. It felt like it was, you know, if I had to guess it was a little boy and, and, um, he just was lonely. And, and so, um, that was one of the first experiences I had at the Palmer house. And after that, I learned how to make sure that I um, blocked out my room well enough so that they didn't come watch me sleep. But <laughs> you just um, failed over yourself. Yes. <laughs> I use Violet from the Incredibles movie as my example. And we oh, nice. my, my Violet bubble whenever I need it to sleep. Um, I'm happy to interact with them during the day and they can follow me all around as much as they want, but I don't need them holding my hands when I'm sleeping. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think that would be helpful. You yeah. gotta set boundaries with these people. Exactly. Just like every other person. Yes. So when you hear from these people, I mean, when they're stuck like this, why do you think that happens? You know, um, I think that the energies are shifting now. So it's a lot easier to see through the veil than we ever have been before. Um, so, and I, I think that these souls, sometimes they sense lights in people that can help them. So, you know, um, so I think, you know, when I, when you're open to it, you're going to draw more of that energy, but that's also why you have to be really careful if you're someone who's going out on paranormal investigations and kind of opening yourself up to that energy. Um, I, there's a couple of stories in the book about that. I had, uh, two little kid ghosts from the Palmer house follow me home one time. And I, and I do a pretty good job of locking up my energy field when I'm out and about, I don't need things knocking, you know, me upside the head when I'm at Walmart and things like that. So <laughs> I am really careful when I'm out and about. And sometimes that's actually to my detriment because I didn't realize that, uh, these two little kids had followed me home. And, um, my son was actually the one who noticed he's, he had been picking out a book on the, on the shelf and said, mom, there's two, I, I felt something poke me when I was looking at the books. And I remember thinking, oh, I better tune in and see what that's about. So I waited for my real kids to go to school and then had to kind of scan and tune in and see who had followed me home. And, and, um, yeah. So <laughs> your son could see them there. He felt it, um, oh my gosh. more than see it. And, and I, I don't know that he's, I don't know if he's read that story yet in the book, but I don't know if he knows that he's in it for that, for that story. <laughs> You'll find so, out when he's older, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think that they, I mean, some of them are just, they're lost. They don't know that they've passed or do you think? Yeah. And I, you know, I think that, um, they, there's, there's a lot of different reasons that a soul gets stuck. I think, you know, we have free will choice in death as we do in life. And sometimes those, you know, uh, your soul for whatever reason has chosen not to go where they think they're supposed to be. And, and sometimes that's because of the understanding of what heaven and hell is, um, is different for all of us. And I think if, if you're a soul who believes in that condemnation, fire and brimstone, you know, explanation of heaven and hell, and you didn't always make the greatest choices in your life, then that's a reason for you not to go where you think you might be going, which in, in that scenario would be hell. And I don't, I don't necessarily believe in that. I don't buy into that. And it's not what I see in the work that yeah. I do. So sometimes, you know, those souls get stuck behind and and it just takes a little bit of explanation and understanding and just explaining you know that's not what the afterlife is it doesn't have to be like that heaven gets to be whatever you want it to be um which is actually a very comforting comforting thing um so a lot of the souls you know i was raised catholic i grew up catholic um my kids are still at catholic schools and um you know, as a Catholic school kid, I was taught the idea of purgatory and it's that yeah. in between place. And I think a lot of souls kind of shoot, put themselves in purgatory because they don't think they're worthy and they don't think they're good enough to go. But when you get past that and you realize, you know, you're, when you get past that and, and realize that heaven can actually be whatever you want it to be and that we all 
you know, there might be a little bit more work to do there if you haven't made the greatest choices in your life, but it still doesn't mean you can't go. <laughs> yeah, I think that you bring up such an interesting point because even in some of the near-death um, research, they're talking about like people when they have a near-death experience sometimes get what they are expecting. So they either yeah. see Jesus or they go in a light tunnel, but some of them go to very strange places and then yeah. when they come back, they've kind of got to work on themselves. But yeah, it seems like a lot of this is some aspect of our own creation yeah. based on, like you said, the belief of our, in ourselves and whether or not we feel like we're worthy of things. So mm -hmm. how as a Catholic, I mean, <laughs> I think Catholicism is fascinating because, it, you know, um, I've had some famous priest friends over the years um, who told me, you know, you, you, they believe in exorcism. They, you seem to acknowledge the wider spiritual world that I think is kind of not acknowledged by other faiths as well. Yeah, I, I like it in that it provides a, a context for the mysticism. Um, you've got the angels and the saints, you know, yeah. there it puts it puts it in context. And when I was that little girl, you know, in junior high and I was at a Catholic school and I was terrified of that dark shadow in the corner, that's what I did. I prayed to my angel, like guardian angel, yes. keep me safe. I don't, you know, I don't know what this is and I don't know what I'm feeling, but I trust in you to help keep me safe. And, and that, so it gave me a framework at a very early age that I use today in my, in my spiritual practice. Yeah. I'm not a Catholic in this life, but I know I was in a lot of other lives. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do love Archangel Michael. Like I, I keep him near me all the time and you do yeah. feel, like, I just call it unwanted influences. Yeah, they're coming from just let him just cut the cords with that with his sword and just take exactly care of things, you know, and, and it also provided me with the context for opening up to ideas that there were other realms and dimensions as well. Um, you know, if the angels are existing up here in this hierarchy, you know, what other things might be there. And if I'm gonna believe in angels, why wouldn't I believe the information that's coming in from my guides about some of the other things that are out there? Right. I did, um, I guess this is a book I don't always like to talk about, but um, it seems like you and I should have this conversation. I wrote a book several years ago about people who thought they were cursed. And yeah. it was kind of written by accident because I wrote an email and I'm like, I always have my head in the clouds and I'm floating around on, you know, technicolor unicorns. And so I was like, hey, are you blessed or cursed? Or are you just <laughs> lucky like me? Because I'm like the luckiest person alive. And I had all these people write me and go, oh my gosh, I'm cursed. And it goes back 10 generations. And so um, some, I, I'm on Coast to Coast a lot. George Norrie loves curses yeah. and all this. So he encouraged me to publish this book. I've had a real hard time grappling with that though, because it just simply doesn't resonate with how I live my life. I really feel like we're attracting you know, certain things to ourselves. And even right. if we thought we were, you know, we're all cursed sometimes and then we're blessed. I mean, you know, life is kind of like a road. Yep. And, 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 and you get back. Exactly. And you get back what you put out there. And yes. And, um, you know, that actually brings up an interesting thing that I'm starting to see in my practice too with clients is that, um, you know, I, if, if we, believe that this is our only lifetime and and you curse yourself in it sometimes I and actually I'm speaking to this from more of a past life where right. you had a past life where there was a 
there was a client who was practicing dark magic or cursing left and right. And, and I think you don't realize the power of your words in that moment actually can carry you through lifetimes. So then how do you go back to that timeline <laughs> and add in the intent, okay, this isn't forever and always, <laughs> yes. you know, how do I prevent that curse from carrying into my next life or, or more important from what you're saying is how do I, maybe there was a curse in a past lifeline. How do I go back from where I am now and get rid of that? And um, I'm, yeah, I'm actually seeing that a lot. And I don't know if you know this, but I work with an astrologer in my practice and we actually do joint readings together. And this was another thing that happened by accident. Um, we were out together at a happy hour one night with other like-minded yeah. friends and someone had asked a question, how do I, you know, what's going on in my chart? Because everyone's always asking Meredith what's going on in my chart whenever we're together. And so she pulled up her, the birth chart. And as she started talking, um, information, my gift turned on and I started to get downloads of what that actually meant for the person who was asking the question. And we, we looked at each other and she's like, wait, what's happening to you? And and so we did some practice runs and tried to uh, see, you know, is this something that people would get something out of sitting with both of us together? And so we started doing um, joint astrology psychic readings. And actually what you're talking about with the curse, this is where this is showing up. She actually can see that in the birth chart um, that there's this ancestral darkness following your soul in from one life to the next so my logical brain is really happy with that because it validates on paper from the a completely different divination source that yes this can happen so it can because you know um i write books for Llewellyn also and they're all on past lives and the one yeah. that's getting ready to come out is about um something i developed called genealogical regression like when i take okay. you into a past life Sometimes I'm trying to get you to the source event of, let's say it's a curse, or let's say you're trying to find out some gifts or talents, but there's sometimes you have to go heal the ancestral line. Exactly. So the curses couldn't, the curses, right. maybe it's thousands of years ago on your own past lives, or it's something you're carrying through from the forebears because they have had, they now know clinically that our person, even our personality, 20% of it is scientifically proven to be brought straight in from the ancestors. So, you know, we have to heal the ancestors mm -hmm. as well as look as, at our own past lives. And you can just go back there, clear it. Exactly. And then I guess clinically though, I mean, part of what I have to do is convince the person that, that this can be cleared so that they can own the fact that they can let go of this because some people yeah. really probably like being cursed. I don't know, but I noticed oh. in the book, you talked about like evil spirits and stuff. So that this brought forth a lot of this in this work that I've done too. And I think a lot of this is like about what they're attracting and that we can go inside and change ourselves and get something. Right. And I just want to say, what do you think of that? I just think that you're exactly right. That empowerment, you don't have to have this follow you through lifetimes. You get to choose. You may have maybe made a bad choice in a past life that caused something to happen here, but in now, but now you get to clear that. And, and it's the same thing with the afterlife. You get to choose what that's going to be, um, you know, by the actions and the energy that you're pumping out to the universe right now we're all divine beings we all have that 
Um, but, but yeah, we get to choose. And if you believe something that gives it power that maybe it doesn't need to have, um, you know, one of the stories in the book, I, I actually was clearing a house in a suburb here in Minnesota and it was a, it was a, an old guy and he was crabby. He wasn't even connected to the house. He just, I think he liked the gardens in the house for, and he, but also the homeowner was really sensitive to energy and she knew he was there and, and he was having a lot of fun startling her because every time he would startle her, she, it, it would give him an energetic boost. You know, mm -hmm. the fear that she would emit gave him a boost. And so, uh, um, that's kind of a bad combination in a ghost to be bored and, and realize that you get a power boost when you're jumping out and scaring everybody. Yeah. So, but one of the reasons he hadn't gone when, when I tuned into the situation, the download that came is that when he wanted to, um, when he had passed away, his wife who had died ahead of him actually showed up to get him and he didn't like his wife very much in life. And his, you know, she was very religious and thought, and, and his understanding of heaven was that it had to be singing in choirs and praying all day long. And he didn't want anything to do with that. He wanted, wow. He, you know, he wanted to have more fun with his afterlife. And he, one of the reasons he was attracted to this house was because it had really beautiful gardens. And so I explained when I explained to him, you know, heaven can be whatever you want it to be. If you want a garden all day long, then that's what you get to do. Um, it it shifted his perspective enough to finally let go and be able to go so it's but those those thoughts and beliefs have a lot of power yeah. and sometimes you know the work that I do is about reprogramming those beliefs you know right. um, and, and really tuning inward you know is this something I was taught to believe or is this something I truly believe so you know, or, you, you know, you learning to discern and use your intuition to discern, you know, what do I think? What do I think about this? And then, like you said, sometimes the words we're saying, the things we're saying, we're not even conscious of it. So you've got to get that up and out right. that's <laughs> for the living. And I guess it's for the dead too. Who knows? Yeah. Everyone. So um, how can we, if we are empaths like yourself, how, how do you recommend people, you know, shield themselves from unwanted influences. Yeah, so this, um, it's all about intention. Um, we have to remember that we're the ones with the, the physical bodies. So energetically, our energy is infinitely stronger than anything else that's out there without a body, which is one of the reasons you actually have to worry about the real people more. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so, so Natalie. Well, <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I tell the story and I say this to my clients all the time when my middle kid, my kids are very psychic and a lot of my own learning has been about trying to stay a step ahead of them. I wanted to teach them better than what I was taught when I was little, which was to be told over and over again that there's no such thing as ghosts and it's just your imagination. And here I'm writing ghost stories. I can't very well tell them there's no such thing. So I needed to come up with some better language and some better explanations for them. And so when Luke was about five, he would wake up in the middle of the night with these night terrors. And he would tell me that there were voices in his head telling him to do stuff he didn't want to do. And as a mother, I didn't know I was the psychic, but I did my mama bear instincts kicked in. And I'm like, I'm not going to let that happen on my watch if I have anything to say about it. And I happened to be reading at the time 
um, a book, a meditation book by James von Prague. And in it, there was this exercise. I know it's, he's such a great teacher. Yeah. Um, there, there's an exercise in there about bubbling your space and keeping your energy field safe. So I adapted it for a five-year-old version. And every night before he would go to sleep, we would imagine a bubble coming around, around his space and a vacuum cleaner coming down and sucking out anything black or icky or negative from his day. And then we would take that garbage and wrap it up and send it off with our angels. It's super important not to dump it out on the sidewalk for the next five-year-old empath to walk through. And uh, so at, we started doing this work and I would use Violet from the Incredibles movie as my example, because that was an instant visual that he could hang on to and, and do this work. And, and then, um, and as we were doing this, the voices stopped and, and he started sleeping through the night. So I instantly had this tangible evidence right away that this works. And part of it was me empowering him to take control of his own energy field at a really young age, which I think is super important. These kids now are so being born with such gifts. Yeah, Like we're watching evolution happen in front of us, but we need to teach them how do you deal with that influx of energy and how do you, how do you own it? And, and um, so, and, and it also was me empowering him to actually do something with it in a way that he could comprehend and do. And, and fast forward a few years um, and my kids would get in the car after recess. And this became kind of our common language at our house. They would, I would pick them up after school and they would get in the car and just dump all their stories about all the junk that happened to them on the playground at recess or, you know, all this crazy energy. And I would scold them and I would say, you know, did you have your bubble up at recess? <laughs> no. Okay, well then it's your own fault you feel this way because you know that you're sensitive to everyone else's energy. So if the kids on the playground are all picking on each other and you're gonna feel that even if you're the kid getting picked on or not. Right. So, so you need to learn how to, how to navigate that. And also don't dump it on me just because I know how to deal with it. Clear it yourself. Like that's so you, wonderful. Yeah. You're such so, a great mom. That's amazing. <laughs> I wish every I'm a weird could. mom, that's for sure. <laughs> that's what people need. I mean, just owning yeah. it, yes. And just giving people their own power. Yeah. And then actually fast forward again another five years. And um, last year we were up in Ely, Minnesota for a long weekend away at a, at a resort motel type thing. And um, oftentimes when I go out of town on vacations, I'm not on vacation. A lot of times if I'm driving into town, I'll feel this particular day I was we were driving into town and it just felt heavy. And I thought for sure, something's gonna wake me up in the middle of the night and need help. I'm not gonna get to sleep through the night. And the next morning I woke up at 8.30 and I was so surprised and I was like, oh, I guess I was wrong. I, I misread the energy of this town, <laughs> I'm okay. And about 10 minutes later, my teenager walks in the room and he says he, he had been sleeping on the fold out couch right outside our door. And he walks in, he's like, come on, I woke up at three in the morning and a dead guy was staring at me. <laughs> I said, really, what'd you do about that? And I, and I was surprised and worried for him, of course, as a mother would be. And, and he's like, oh, I just made sure my bubble was safe. And then I wrapped him up in a bubble of his own and sent him off to heaven. <laughs> I was like, okay. Cute. Like my work here is done. I wish somebody had taught right. me how to do that when I was 13. I would have had a lot. Yeah, <laughs> my you life would have been a lot easier. I love it. Yeah. 
parents teach their kids to work. Well, there you go. This is a new level, people. Here it is. Yeah. Natalie, that is amazing. It's amazing. Can you imagine like who your kids are going to become as a result of bringing that you're giving them? I think it's a wonderful. Oh, they're going to do. I just like, I just try to teach them to take advantage of the opportunities in front of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. And if it happens to be a dead guy that's staring at you, take advantage of that opportunity and do something about it. Exactly. It's here. So just go (laughs) with it and move on. Yeah. Amazing. 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 Um, Let me see. I want to ask you about a lot of other things. Let me (laughs) see. Tell us about portals and wanders. Wanders. Okay. Yeah. That's a whole chapter in the book. Um, Yeah. And actually this gives me an opportunity to clear something up. I'm getting lots of questions about this um, from writers, (laughs) Um, people wanting to know if every mirror that's hanging on an outside wall is a portal and it's not. (laughs) I'm glad we're getting into mirrors. Okay. Yes. (laughs) No, it doesn't have to be um, at all. I think um, I wrote about that happening in the book and just because that's an old wives tale and it happened to be true in this case, but Um, the mirror does not have to be on an outside wall for it to be a portal. And likewise, not every mirror hanging on an outside wall is a portal. So, um, do you believe mirrors are portals or is there something we can do about it? I think, well, I think there's, I think it's natural to have portals. I think there are, you know, it's, there are these interdimensional gateways. And now I think we're a lot more sensitive to them than we ever used to be because, we're just more sensitive to energy and the energies and the veils are thinner and everything is shifting and smashing together a lot more than it was before. So we're seeing it and feeling it and sensing it more. Um, And it doesn't necessarily have to be bad thing. I think you can have portals that lead to high dimensions, you know, as much as you can have the ones that lead to lower dimensions. And, and I think it's just like this crossroads of activity and, and, I don't know that we necessarily want them in our homes though. Right. <laughs> we don't need these gateways with uh, in uh, you know energies coming in constantly as if it's a highway. So, so um, there's I think that's one of the things that happens at at the Palmer House. I think they've got some portals there that allow those energies to go in, but it's also a place where they are knowledgeable and se- you know sensible about that. Um, I often joke that I'm their other cleaning lady, along with a a whole army of other energy practitioners that go up there on a regular basis. Um, We've got people that are constantly watching to make sure that the, you know, that it stays a high vibration and a a positive thing and doesn't turn into something that's negative. Right. Absolutely. I do some procedures around my house, for example, and I'm going to run these by you right now. Okay. I would always kind of circle the perimeter of the yard with salt and then just cast a protective glow over the house. I have some Catholic friends who said that, you know, table salt, sodium chloride in the corners of a room will keep things out. What do you think about that? I think the most important thing is your intention. Um, That is the number one tool for a metaphysical practitioner is to have intention and have positive intention and good intention and be working with the good energies and 
And I, I have people ask me that a lot, actually, how do I clear my house? And I, I'm doing it wrong with the sage. I'm walking in the wrong way or, or the windows have to be open or not open. And I, all of that, all that does is it just takes away from your intention. If you walk through the house and intend good stuff, stay, bad stuff, get out, that's enough. Um, you know, it, it's just, I'm intending that my space is light and love. And that's what my house, that's only, that's the only thing allowed in my house is light and love. Right. Um, that, that goes above and beyond anything else that you could be doing. And, and I think if you are called to do crystal grids, or if you are feeling called to do a salt circle, that that's what you should follow, follow your intuition on that. Um, and the second you start thinking that you're doing it wrong though, that's what starts to mess with your intention. Yeah, I agree with that. I have done a lot of crystal and gem books and stuff. I used to do a lot of more of these procedures than I do now because now, yes, over time, you just start to understand. You just intend it and it's done. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things for um, seekers to grasp for some reason because it's so easy that it seems kind of difficult. Mm -hmm. you know? I think people want to make things more difficult maybe than it is. I don't know. <laughs> And I guess it's like you were saying, even about spirits or people crossing over feeling worthy, people have to feel empowered and just know, yes, you have intuition, you can use it. And, you know, what you're getting is valid and things like that. And people just yeah. have to believe in it, I think. And that's something I struggled with when I was coming into my own gifts is yes. I was learning from different mentors and I would think that I was doing it wrong because I wasn't doing it the same way they were doing it. And what you need to realize is that everyone's gifts work differently. So, and also our teachers, you know, it, this is all divine message, but it's coming through these human bodies and human filters and humans by our very nature make mistakes. Yeah. So anyone who's taking a class from me or wanting to learn this stuff, I encourage them learn from a lot of different people because that's where you find the common threads. That's where you find the divine message is is by putting all of those different perspectives together. And there is, you know, nobody's gifts are gonna work the exact same way um, because yeah. we all have different layers of those gifts and you have to figure out how they work for you. Um, and that's really what the book was about was my journey to figuring that out. How do these gifts work for me and what the heck am I supposed to be doing with them? Yes, it's a great book because it helps people it's like it, it it gives people permission to yeah. go to some of these places by going on your journey with you. And I really, really love your book. <laughs> Tell us your website again, Natalie. It's nataliefowler.com. Yes, just my name. Okay. Spirits Way Home. I will have the show link, this website up in the show link. You need to buy this book. I love it. <laughs> um, it's one of my very, very favorites. Natalie, your joy. Your kids are amazing and they're becoming even better as we speak. And I just wish you so much peace and continued success with everything you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. Okay. Ne Until next time, friends. Until <laughs> next time on Healing Arts. Okay. All right. Hey friends, it's Dr. Shelley. If you are experiencing anxiety, depression, or trauma, check out my book, Meet Your Karma, The Healing Power of Past Life Memories. 
This is a book filled with amazing case histories of clients who have successfully healed their anxiety and trauma, and it has a lot of guided journeys in it designed to help you get through these challenging times. Click on my website at pastlifelady.com, follow the book links, and check out Meet Your Karma, The Healing Power of Past Life Memories today. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. You can visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Natalie, and I hope you have a blessed rest of your day. Stay tuned tomorrow when we're going to be interviewing another exciting Llewellyn author on the next episode of Healing Arts. And in the meantime, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Namaste. Hey friends, it's Dr. Shelley. I have an amazing new book that's being released on May 8th. It's called Past Lives with Pets. That's right. Have you known your little fuzzball in a past life? Maybe you have. And guess what? A lot of my clients say yes. And in this book, we will explore the past lives of my clients and you'll have opportunities to take guided journeys and see your own connections to your lovely little furry companions. There's also tons of other exercises to help you recover from the grief of losing your pet. You can meet your animal spirit totems learn how to communicate with animals, and so much more. So click on the links and check out my new book. You're going to love it. Past Life with Pets, coming out May 8th from Llewellyn Worldwide. <laughs>